Hello, hello, this is Jonathan and you're listening to the Johnny Talks Podcast, the place where we help you achieve your financial goals. Hello friends, hope you're having a great day wherever you are, whether that's in Atlanta, Madrid or Vienna. And in today's episode, we will speak to my friend Jacob from iHeartBudgets. I met Jacob and his wife Michelle at FinCon earlier this year, and he told me he was currently on a mini retirement, traveling in an RV. So an RV is a seat as a large motorhome, camper van, you know, like those huge uh, trailer trucks kind of. And they're traveling with their three kids through the US. They started their crazy plans in August of 2018, and while the plan was to travel one year only, they are still at it. <laughs> and they will keep for a few months uh, still, as you will hear in the episode. Living in such a limited space brings challenges, but as well incredible experiences and opportunities. We will discuss all of these with Jacob, and we will also discuss what triggered him and his family to do this. And interestingly enough, a couple of months before deciding to go live in an RV, the Waite family was looking into buying a larger home, actually, which is kind of funny when you think about it. And so we also touch upon minimalism throughout the discussion. And in the second phase of the episode, we will talk about budgets. And since Jacob loves budgets, nerd, we will also discuss why setting up a budget, or better said, a plan for your finances is the essence of starting to live a better life. And just before we jump into the interview, here are a few quick US to metric system conversions to keep in mind while listening. So just to, to have an idea about the dimensions, etc. So for example, the RV in which they live is 300 square feet, and that is approximately 30 square meters. The length of the uh, RV is 35 feet, and that is approximately 10 and a half meters. And just for your uh, information, so one foot is 30 centimeters, and one acre is 4,000 square meters, or almost half of a soccer field. And with those conversions in mind now, I think we're ready to jump right into it. Hello, Jacob. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Jonathan. How are you? Yeah, I'm fine and uh, very excited to speak to you today because today uh, we will speak about your uh, new lifestyle. I mean, you've been living in an uh, RV for a, a little more than one year now and uh, an RV just for the listeners. That's um, kind of a large, a big motor home as we only see here in Europe from American movies. So it's uh, it's like a huge <laughs> camper van uh, as we yeah, call it here. So uh, and you've changed that lifestyle uh, to, to this lifestyle one year and a half ago. And this is what, what we want to uh, discuss about today. Yeah, happy to talk about it. Yeah, excellent. So Jacob, uh, yeah, we met at FinCon. And, and actually, that's the f one of the first things that sprung to mind uh, when we talked. You said uh, we, we met uh, at uh, one event. And then you quickly mentioned, oh, yeah, you live in Luxembourg, this and that. And we talked about locations. And you mentioned that you lived in an RV. Of course, that uh, that sparked my interest. I'm like, yeah, but how do people live in an RV? And you have three kids and uh, and you're married with Michelle, who I also met. So how do people manage this and why do they choose this? And uh, yeah, so, so that's why I invited you. So yeah, maybe let's just start with uh, the RV uh, itself, living in an RV. How's that working out for you after 14 months now? Oh, sorry, 15 months approximately? <laughs> you know, it's funny that that is the first question we always get. We sort of get a, a wide eyed, wait, you, your whole family lives in that RV. And then the next question is always like, 
but but how 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 do you manage <laughs> exactly. that? Yeah. So no, it's um you know it it really it, it's so normal to me now. Like I talk about it and it just sort of comes out naturally in conversation, but it always stops people in their tracks um, because it is different, right? So our RV is 300 square feet. Um, ours is not quite the motorhome style. It's the, it's the one that you tow behind a truck. Uh, so in the, in the U.S., we call it a travel trailer, uh, but it's fairly large. It's about 35 feet long front to back. Um, and it's got some slide outs on it, meaning, you know, once we park the, the slides actually come out. So 300 square feet, um, at least to us is, is, is fairly spacious. So we've got three kids, seven, five, and three, and then my wife and I, mm -hmm. uh, so the way that we actually cram ourselves into this thing is when you walk in the door, there's a, there's a master bedroom and it actually has a full sliding solid door. So we, we have our own master bedroom and then you just have sort of this great room. There's a kitchen and a uh, seating area. We had a custom table made so we could all sit at the table uh, and everything's just kind of in this open area. And then the kids actually have their own bunk room. So there's bunks up on the wall there. Uh, and they actually, you know, we have a sliding curtain thing. So, you know, we have all the space that we need to live there. Uh, and then the other piece of it is that, that we're traveling, seeing new things all the time. And a big part of it is we're living outside, mm -hmm. right? We tell our kids, we traded our quarter acre backyard for 10 million acres in, you know, in this great land. So, uh, we're, we're experiencing and enjoying the outdoors as much as possible. Um, and we can just fit in the RV and, and work out just fine. Um, but a big part that helps is that we get a new backyard every couple of weeks and then we just go explore, <laughs> enjoy and, and live outside. Yeah. That's, that, that, that's a nice way to put it. We get a new backyard every time we change location. It's exactly it. Um, and so like for, for just like the practical stuff, like we have, you know, we've got a, a full restroom and a kitchen and we've got a fridge that works and, and we've got a pantry. And, um, I tell people we have everything we need and nothing we don't. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so one of the, the aspects of this is when we moved into the RV, um, it, it sort of created a forced minimalism for us. We, we aren't middle minimalists. We weren't preaching minimalism. You know, we, we like to like, you know, not keep a lot of stuff and we're more of an experiences people versus a stuff people. But, um, this forced us to, to parry the, everything down and say, okay, what is it that we need? Because we can't really bring anything else other than what we need on this trip. And so we, you know, we've got six spoons, six knives, six forks, six plates, six cups, you know, like every, we have one extra and then one for each of our family. And, 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 and we just basically said, okay, we have a pot and we have two pans and, th and that's taken care of us for the last 15 months. So it's, it made us make some very intentional decisions about what stuff we have, what we can bring with us. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you just make it work. Right. I think there's this, this thing, uh, in culture that's just like, Hey, get this product to solve this specific problem. And now all of a sudden you have all of these things that just do there. I call them one trick ponies. They're just single use items that are only good for this one thing. And we had to force ourselves to come back and say, okay, if we have something, it has to be multifunctional period. Uh, and so that's a, I know that's a big part of minimalism. Same with our clothes. We had to bear everything down. Uh, Michelle and I have a one foot wide by about three foot deep uh, closet for our clothes. And then, uh, we have some storage boxes for like pants and pajamas and things. But I mean, 
one foot wide by three foot deep. That's our closet on each side. And you have a washing machine on board uh, or a... No, we don't. No. So that's another good point. That's the other question we get. So the, the it's funny. <laughs> the main the main questions we get are how do you guys fit in there and not kill each other? Um, how do you like do your laundry and cook and clean and all that? And then do you homeschool? How do the kids do school? Right. Those are the three big questions we get. So you're perfectly following the path of <laughs> most of the questions we get. So this, yeah. So as far as like laundry and services like that, uh, we just do laundromats. And you know what's funny? Um, at this point, my wife is like so sold on laundromats. She doesn't even want a washing machine and dryer like at our next house because she's like, "Well, I have access to six washing machines and six commercial grade dryers, and I can do laundry in an hour, right?" Versus before, or you know, maybe two hours at most. And we're doing six, seven loads because we separate our colors and stuff. Before. It was a whole day thing, not to mention folding and putting away. So it might take two days to get through the laundry and a week later have to do that again yeah. versus the the insane amount of time saving we're using a laundromat. So, yeah, we just go to laundromats. A lot of the campgrounds actually have laundry on site uh, with multiple washers and dryers. So we, we just do it here. Mm -hmm. Okay, very good. You mentioned your next house. So will you ever come back to a, to living in one house? Yeah. So, you know, it, it kind of takes us back to the story of getting here. Uh, a big part of it was, um, you know, climbed, I, I say I climbed the corporate ladder, got to the top, looked around and realized I didn't want to be there. And, uh, so we climbed right back down and left. But, um, the, uh, a big piece of this whole trip was we wanted to afford ourselves. Uh, a lot of the early retirement folks call it a mini retirement. Uh, we wanted to take a year off to travel and hit the reset button, right? We got to the point where uh, I was too busy. I was traveling all the time. I was not mentally there uh, with my family and I felt so disconnected and we didn't realize why we were striving for what we were striving for. And so mm -hmm. we, we decided to take a year off. Well, as you can tell, 15 months in, that whole year off plan kind of blew out of the water and we're still going. Um, but we do plan to settle down uh, and get a house at some point. Right now, We're, we're building an online business um, and trying to get that off the ground. So it's actually the cheapest way for us to live. We've got everything we need. We're already used to this lifestyle. So we decided after that, that year mark, um, we said, well, let's, let's just keep going and build this thing while our expenses are low, while we still have that travel itch a little bit and we want to continue to explore. So yeah, we, I, I give us a maximum of 18 more months in this RV Uh, until we either rent a house or at least stop permanently and find a place to settle down and 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 dig in some roots. Like we're big community people and church people and all that. And so we want to make sure that we're eventually settling down and plugging into our local community and just having that mm -hmm. that type of lifestyle. But uh, yeah, 18 months max. Okay. And where are you guys uh, originally from? I mean, which uh, city or state? Yeah, so we're from the Seattle area mm -hmm. up in the, the Pacific Northwest, and uh, we we left that area and just headed east and just did this big loop around the U.S. and hit 25 states. Um, that's, you know, part of the way that we're even um, able to do this this uh, year off and building our business was the Seattle real estate market. Um We, we had bought at a good time, things appreciated well, and we were frugal with our money and saved. And um, so selling our house is a big chunk of us being able to do this trip. 
And so that being said, going back to the Seattle area, like, I don't think <laughs> I would want to buy my own house that I sold at the price it is currently. It's, it was just so insanely high that I don't, I don't necessarily see us going back to that area We're we're looking, you know, one of the great things and the, the, the hard things about traveling is we see all the places that we probably never would have seen before places we could go live. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it was like, that's great. Now we have all of these options, but then the hard thing is we have all of these options. So we're (laughs) not, we're not quite sure where we're going to land. Um, but just based on on real estate prices and kind of where things are at in the Seattle area, uh, and I have some family that are moving away, and we've got we got people starting to spread all over. We're, we're not necessarily committed to going back there. It's funny because I talked to um, Brad from a Man Overseas in a in a previous episode, and he kind of said the same thing. He's traveling more like he's just with his wife, and they're traveling uh, abroad to Thailand, to Mexico, etc. And I asked him the, the same question. Okay, so you're traveling all to all these places, even in, in Europe. Is there a place where you see yourself uh, settling with your wife or, and maybe when you have a kid? And he said, well, I don't know. I have so many options. I, I could see myself live somewhere, um, anywhere. <laughs> so, yeah, he, he also right. had a hard time to, to pick a place. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly it. It's a, it's a dilemma. Where it's like this, like, I call it, you know, a first world problem. It's like, oh, wow, like you guys get to travel and see everywhere and you could live anywhere. And I'm like, yeah, but but it's kind of easier when the decision is just made for you. Like yeah. you live here because you're here and your job and your family. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's 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 a it's an interesting dilemma. OK. And do you have a specific uh, <clears throat> route that you're following? I mean, you said the 25 states. Is there a particular order or something you want to go to a place you've never seen before? Or what is the, how do you plan your, uh, yeah, your, your route? Yeah. So when we left, we kind of had a general idea. It was August. So it was a warmer month and we're like, Hey, let's, let's do the Northern half of the United States before the snow comes in because mm-hmm. we weren't going to drive in, in the snow. So we, we just started heading East and, but we, we had kind of built this big map thing and we had some date nights, you know, we'd crack a bottle of wine and just start drawing lines on the map and putting sticky notes. Like, here's where we want. We want to go see all this stuff. And I would say in the first couple of weeks that just, we just threw that out the window because everything changed so quickly. And what we found was we are 100% sold on national parks. Um, and so for the international audience, uh, that's not familiar with the United States national park service, Uh, they're just unique land formations and features that are protected by the U.S. government and and build as national parks where people can go visit sort of undisturbed parts of the land, right? So very unique features, things like Yellowstone National Park. It's got all these like, you know, uh, I don't know what you call them, volcanic activity type areas. It's it's beautiful mountainsides. It's it's unique trees, you know, like California has the redwoods, the tallest trees in the world. So those types of things are, are called national parks, and there's 59 of them in the United States. So it, it's like a Yosemite? Uh, is, it's, it's part of it? Yeah. So the, California, I think, has six of them. Uh, Yosemite uh, National Park is one of those. You've got the Sequoia National Park, the Redwoods. Uh, there's one called Big Sur. So California has a ton of them, but it's just it's one of those things where you get to go see what land looks like when it hasn't been inhabited. Basically, it's it's protected, restored, 
land with very, very unique features. And so our first big destination was Yellowstone National Park. And we did eight days there. And that just changed our whole perspective on everything. And we rerouted our entire map to how many national parks can we hit in the next year? Right. So we did we we did head east and we went all the way through the northern states and um, through South Dakota and and all the way east. And then we just started heading south. Um, but national parks was really our route map. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, in the in the first 12 months, we figured we were done after 12 months. So we were moving quickly. We, on average, I, I mapped it out. We at, we moved every four days on average, which oh, wow. was a little insane. Mm-hmm. It was it, it was crazy, but it was like this whirlwind adventure. Like, hey, let's take this time, you know, and travel and explore and enjoy and like be. Um, be, you know, just build those family memories. So we, we were very, very, moved very, very quickly. Like I said, we hit 25 states in, in that first year, we hit 20 national parks, we had over 80 stops. It was, it was very quick. Um, but yeah, it was, it was sort of just, you know, once we hit our groove, cause it took a while, it took a few months to really feel comfortable with this lifestyle and where we're going and all that. Then it was just, okay, well, what do you want to see next? We, instead of like a definite map, it turned into, well, here's what the next two weeks looks like. After that, no idea. Let's just keep planning. If you see something cool, let's go there. Mm-hmm. Right? It was very open-ended and sort of wild and free adventure style, uh, which is totally my wife's style. I'm, I'm a more of a planner. Give me the next 12 months itinerary. And she's very <laughs> like, let's go see that. Look, there's a big sign on the road. Let's go. Um, <laughs> yeah, I see. But yeah, that, that was our first year. And now, now we're slowing down, right? We're building a business. We're we're realizing we're just we're trying to live a little less expensively and less kind of wild and carefree and sort of uh, frugal mode now to just um, slowly stay warm. So we're going we're in Southern California right now. We're going to do Arizona, eventually over to Florida. So we're kind of doing the whole uh, we call it snowbirds thing. We're we're down here in the south for the winter. Um, but our roadmap is yeah we just one of the nice things about this lifestyle is it is sort of carefree. You you can pivot at any second and say, well, we were planning on doing that, but this thing came up, let's go do that. And and we literally just pack up and go. So, so that is, uh, you know, sort of our style. It's, 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 it's sort of, here's a general plan, but we're going to, it's going to change and, and we're fine with that. Yeah. Excellent. It sounds quite exciting, but as well, a little bit exhausting. So how the, how do the kids uh, survive this? I mean, are they okay with this? Aren't they tired complaining? Do they, yeah. How, how do they experience uh, this? Yeah, well, totally. Yeah, we have a, a seven, a five, and a three-year-old, and complaining just happens. That's <laughs> that's just life. I, I guarantee you, if we were in a multi-million-dollar mansion with seven pools, like there would still be something to complain about. That's Absolutely. just that's just the life <laughs> of a kid. Um, so yeah, there's there's times where it's like, oh, I wish we had a house. I wish we could do this or that. Um, but then there's also that, wow, I'm so grateful that we get to travel. Because now we're seeing people we never really get to see normally. And we mm-hmm. get to go do these crazy cool things and make new friends um, and all that. So it, it's sort of, uh, it can go either way. As far as like actual traveling, because we drive a lot, we're, we're, we stick them in their car seats in the truck. Uh, they are the most amazing traveling kids ever. I would say it was tough at first just because like they were getting used to like those longer distances in the truck that long. We just drove over 400 miles. It was a 13-hour travel day. I don't think I heard one complaint. 
It was crazy. Wow. So like <laughs> things have changed over the last 15 months where we've got it. One, we have an amazing system down where we'll get in the car. They'll, you know, it's sort of, we just get on the highway and get going. You know, my wife and I have our coffee, the kids have a snack mm-hmm. and then we'll turn on podcasts. Those have been a huge deal for them. So being able to listen to a story, uh, you know, all kid friendly stuff, educational podcasts and um, science and story podcasts. And maybe we'll do a book on tape type of thing. So that has been really big for them because they love, love to learn and to listen to books. Um, and then the other is just planning our stops. Like if we need to stop, we'll stop. We'll go pull over. We'll, you know, we've got our house behind us. So why don't we just pull over? Yeah. You know, <laughs> open up the doors and, and do lunch. Cool. No big deal. Right. We go to a gas station, we go to a rest stop and, and we're set to go. We have everything we need with us. So, so yes, it can be exhausting. And especially like the mul- if we do multiple travel days in a row, um, try, if we're trying to get some somewhere pretty far, that is exhausting. Com- you know, you're, you're spot on there. But the, the fact that we can take everything with us and we've sort of trained ourselves for these travel days, um, you know, it's not as bad as it, as it used to be. And, and, and now that we've slowed down, like for example, we stayed in Northern California for a full month, slowing down has helped a lot with that exhaustion as well. Mm-hmm. And of course I will ask the classic question. Everybody asks you, how does it work with the, with the school? Or, I mean, I guess you do homeschooling in, in, a, in a way. Yeah, totally. And, and I will, I will, plainly say this is more of my wife's realm and, and she's been awesome at it. Uh, but our kids are, so in Washington state, you don't have to declare, uh, for homeschooling until your kids are eight years old. And so technically it's, it's kind of like whatever works for you until that age. And since our kids are under eight right now, um, uh, we, we called it the first 12 months. We just called it road schooling, right? Um, we're big believers in, teaching them where they're at and teaching them with real life examples and things versus a, a sort of, uh, I mean, some people call it free schooling. And again, I'm going to get all these terms wrong because my, my <laughs> wife's all on this stuff. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we've got some, some, some worksheets and things we want them to go through, but a big part is that we want them to journal every stop. Not only do we want them to do reading and writing and and remembering what happened, but then they can go back and read those journals and say, Oh yeah, I remember when we did that thing. Right. So we have them journal every stop of the way. Um, and then like real life just happens. Like we're in the grocery store. Hey, can you help me do the math here? Is this price per pound better? Which one's a better deal? You know, and, and then, you know, reading and writing is just natural. Like my seven year old is, he's probably read a hundred books in the last year. Oh, I wow. mean, like legit, like hundred plus page books. He just dove in and took off. And so if we were teaching at his quote unquote age level, he wouldn't be doing any of that, but he's at a fifth, sixth, seventh grade reading level. So we're going to, we're going to cater to his learning style, right? As far as actual official homeschool stuff, we'll be declaring him. Um, and you know, there's, there's regulations and processes through Washington state, which is where our current residency is. Um, but yeah, as of that first year, it was just more of a free form road schooling and like, uh, I'm not just going to like break on my kids. My kids are <laughs> are pretty pretty smart and and more than just like book smart, they're they're becoming very practical, common sense, street smart type of human beings as well. So they're very aware of their surroundings, and they understand context and 
um, situational stuff. And, and, you know, they're learning things, of course, because I'm a budget guy, and they're learning personal finance and earning and saving and giving and all these other things. So it's, it's very well-rounded, um, kind of outside the, the box of the normal traditional education system. And we're, we're really enjoying it. So that, that's sort of our style. And again, it, it, we just go with what needs to happen at their specific age range. And then we've got formal, 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 curriculum that we also draw from as well and so we'll we're probably getting more formal you know as they get older but for now it's worked really really well um and and i we see them flourishing i think it's a great experience for them i mean they're a young age they're still flexible they're learning they're they're on the road they see they experience real life i mean not real life but i mean they experience uh, stuff that no other kids at their age have experienced so it's different. It's, yeah. um, it will be, it will pay dividends later, uh, so to speak. So yeah, I'm curious to see how that will impact their lives uh, later on. And I'm wondering about uh, yourselves as well. I mean, Michelle and yourself, not in terms of learning, but in terms of um, relationships, because you, I mean, you have your circle of friends, you have your own family. And I don't know how, how long it has been since you, you've seen your parents or I don't know, some, some family members or friends. How do you deal with yeah. that? Yeah, I think that was probably the hardest part of leaving, to be honest. Mm. Um, we had a lot of family in Washington State, obviously our close circle of friends, our church there. Um, and so sort of unplugging from that as far as a physical location where we, we meet with people, um, it, it, that was the toughest part. Um, maintaining those relationships uh, has been digital. Uh, we, we were lucky to live in a digital age where that is possible. Yeah. Um, so either text message or we use a video chat app called Marco Polo. It's just the name of the app. Um, I don't know if it's us based or global or whatever, but we could just hop on and create a quick little video message and it pops up on their screen and they can chat back and forth. So we've got groups for our each side of the family. We have some friends groups and, and so we've been using that to stay in touch. Um, you know, and then obviously just messaging back and forth. We use social media. So as far as staying in touch, we do that, but there's definitely a, a disconnect there, right? We're not going to church every Sunday and seeing people. We're not, you know, my wife's not doing play dates with, with the moms or groups that she was in. So I would say, yeah, that, that has been tough. Um, mm -hmm. but it also strengthened some of those relationships and, and helped see, um, ones that are, are resilient and that can go through that type of change and still grow together. Um, and I'll, I'll just be perfectly honest to say my wife's way better at that than I am. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I've got a lot of work in that area, but, and then as far as family goes, uh, we were actually back for the whole summer. So for at least a couple of months from July until mid September, we were back in Washington state. So we, uh, we attended a wedding of my wife's brother and we, visited family. We got to stay with family. Um, one of them had a big driveway and was generous enough to let us park there for weeks at a time. And, you know, I got to see my parents and she, she saw her parents and it was, um, it was really nice to plug back in. And, and then again, honestly, we left in September to start heading South again and it, it was tough. So I would say, yeah, that is probably one of the toughest parts. Um, but my parents are moving down to Arizona. I have some family down there. My sister's there. So we're going to go visit them, for example. So it's sort of this trade-off of, you know, we're not always with them, but when we do get to be with them, that time is precious and we make it count. I have a practical question, of course, related to finances. So yeah, what does it cost to live in, a, in an RV with five people? I don't need specific numbers, but I mean, how did you, how do you plan for that? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So the first thing we did is we just hopped online and said, is anybody else traveling full time in an RV? And we realized there there were tens of thousands of families that live on the road. It was it was mind blowing to us in the United States. How many people move into an RV and travel the country? Some people do it because um, they have to and it's just less expensive. Some people do it because they just want that adventure. That's more of what we did. Um, so the way we planned for it was we looked at our first year as it's not like a frugal thing for us. It was, we wanted to just take this time and go adventure, right? So we had, again, a lot of this was the home equity we had saved up and savings. And so when we planned it, we looked at it and said, okay, we're going to spend about, and, and I don't mind giving specific numbers. We were trying to average about five grand a month, mm-hmm. um, which is slightly less than we were um, living on up in the Seattle area. And so we we kind of stuck to that. We I ran the numbers over the last 12 months, and that's about where we stuck to. The highest costs for us were, were food. We're very intentional about our food. Um, we call it our health insurance because it is. Uh, we always buy high quality, organic. You know, all of the things that um, go into our body, we we're very very particular about. So that was a higher cost. Uh, we did spend about a grand a month on rent because we moved so quickly. We didn't get any of those like long stay discounts or anything. Mm-hmm. So we, um, you know, we're spending a little over a grand a month, but then toward the, the second half of the year, once we really got our groove going, we did a lot of free camping as well. So we had some months where we spent under 500 bucks, um, because we would, especially in the Southwest, uh, Arizona area and California and Nevada, um, and Utah, we were able to just go find places that we call it boondocking. That's like the term we use up here. A lot of people call it dry camping, but we basically just we'd go somewhere for four or five days unhooked, you know, fill up on water and, and go, go out there and, and do our thing and, and then just come back and plug in and then, then go do it again. So we, we saved a significant amount of money the last, last four months of our trip really. But, um, gas was expensive. So we actually tallied this for our, 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 we have a lot of people that follow us on Instagram and we, you got a question about like, how much does it cost to tow that thing around? Right. You've got <laughs> yeah. a diesel truck and you got it. 10,000 pound RV. Um, and so we ran a tally and especially since we moved very quickly that first year we spent uh, about $600 a month just on fuel. So it was, it was pretty significant. Yeah, it was a significant cost. It was basically food, rent and fuel was a majority of our Mm -hmm. budget. And then we had this whole thing, uh, where we wanted to experience each local, uh, area. And so we, when we were selling all of our stuff, uh, so we sold everything, by the way. We have a 10 by 10 storage unit with some sentimentals and some furniture that we wanted to keep. And we sold everything else, uh, including our house, right? Yeah. So as we were selling that stuff, we noticed like the, the kids didn't quite understand and they didn't really want to let go of a few of those things. So we created something called the Adventure Jar. And we said, hey, kids, anytime we sell something, the cash goes in this jar. This jar is for our next year of adventures where we can just look and say, I want to go do this thing. Right. So my son came up with the first idea of uh, he wanted to go dig for dinosaur bones. I think it was in in South Dakota or Wyoming or Texas. I can't remember exactly where it was. It was earlier in our trip. And he said, I want to go dig for dinosaur bones. We looked it up and they had like a archaeological dig where you could meet with an archaeologist and go or a paleontologist and go dig bones. And it was like 250 bucks. And we're like, OK, well, let's go sell some stuff. Right. And so as we sell that, we let the kids put the money in the jar. And so, you know, somebody, and and we used Facebook marketplace, by the way, big plug for Facebook marketplace, uh, at least here in the United States, it, 
it's helped us sell our stuff so quickly and we got money for almost everything. Yeah, here too. It works quite well. Yeah. And so it was incredible. So in we only had about six months to get everything sold. We made over $7,000 just selling stuff that I don't even know if we paid 7000 for that stuff because we were very frugal at bringing stuff in from thrift stores and and uh, and free trade groups on, and, and all that. And so um, we sold over $7,000 worth of stuff that went into that jar. And then we created what we call our adventure fund. And so every month we had a little over $500 to go on adventures. Oh, right. Cool. So we built that into the budget as well. So we were able to go, uh, we did, we actually even, you know, we did the the dig and when we went into the city, we, we stayed one night downtown Chicago in a hotel and did all the food stuff there. And, um, you know, every time we went to a national park, we, you know, got souvenirs and we did all the special hikes and, uh, anything we wanted to do, we really sort of just did. And we used that adventure fund money, right? We did, we did, did Disney in Florida. We did oh, yeah. all of this stuff. And so our first year, like I said, it was more of just whatever it is that we wanted to do. We did, uh, but we still stuck to about, about 5,000 a month. Um, as far as just a living budget. Now there were some major repairs and we had some things along the way that I don't, I don't count as part of that monthly budget. It was more of emergency fund type stuff. But like the first 10 days are the vehicle that we had been driving just broke. Mm -hmm. uh, the transmission was shot and we had to sell the thing and go buy a whole new truck. So that was a problem. Like we had, we had money saved for that. Um, and then we just had some, some major repairs on that truck later too. So that if you add that in, there could be another, I mean, hopefully most people, if they want to do this, their vehicle doesn't just blow up on them in the first 10 days. <laughs> right. But you know, they're, they're, the, the car maintenance and, and RV maintenance stuff was another one that was up there. We probably averaged about, uh, if you average it out with those big, bigger ticket items this is about 500 a month as well. Okay. And then, um, because you live in a camper, it's a tiniest place. But still, you enjoy, you really enjoy life because, I mean, you said Disneyland, the restaurant in Chicago. I mean, these are not cheap stuff. I mean, you don't live on rice and bean. You said I, I, uh, we prioritize because that's what something you value, organic food, because we, that's our health insurance. So you, you're living a good life, actually. <laughs> you know, that, that's the big part of, of what I believe in. Mm -hmm. Um I am not one of those frugal to the core to get to the finish line as soon as possible people. I'm a, you know, prioritize your spending. Spend spend on what's important to you and feel free to spend extra money on those things. For for us, it's 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 our food and our adventures. Uh, but don't waste money on anything else that doesn't feed into your priorities or your goals. So for us, you know, for example, we just canceled Netflix last month. We ha had it for a year. It's very inexpensive, but I'm like, we have Amazon Prime. So why, why do we need two services? So we just we just cut it because it wasn't important. And we've cut almost every subscription service out. We live very, very minimally as far as extra expenses. We don't go out to eat a ton. And when we do, we make it count. And it's we call it an adventure. You know, we want to experience something local, unique um, and fun, not just some you know, chain restaurant or something. So yeah, we were very, you know, I, I think, uh, Ramit from, I will teach you to be rich. He, he calls it conscious spending. Uh, I like the term of just like intentional spending, mm -hmm. just making sure that our dollars give us a ton of value. So if we're going to spend that money, we want to get that value out of it. If we just waste money on things just because they're convenient or simple or whatever, that, that doesn't bring us joy or value. So we, 
we don't spend our money there. And so over the years, we've curated our budget to only reflect what's important to us. Mm -hmm. I see. And I will uh, go to um, actually your period before the RV life. Uh, you were living a happy life, but you and, and you had a great job, a sales job, earning six figures, as you say, in the US, so more than $100,000 a year. That's pretty comfortable living. You can afford uh, all the wines in the world, nothing in the world, but you, you can afford a, a good lifestyle, wine, organic food, providing care for your family. And you, you had a, a house and you were even looking for a bigger house. So why mm -hmm. did you then change from this lifestyle, even looking for a bigger house to a 360 square foot um, a camper van. I mean, th that's quite a drastic change. <laughs> you want it to go bigger and then you go smaller. Yeah, we we 100% flipped our life upside down with this move. Um, and, and there was reasons behind that. So, um, you know, part of our story is, is as I was kind of getting my career started and we got married, uh, we lived extremely frugally. Uh, I even have a post on my site that talks about how I live. We lived on 14 bucks an hour as my wife finished school, and we were still able to save some money. Um, and then we've just always had that that very frugal mindset. And so we ended up um, getting a house, and we bought a little, maybe a little more out of our price range. Um, and then when my wife got pregnant and stayed at home with our our firstborn, uh, I worked three jobs to make sure that we could still make that mortgage payment and stay comfortable and, and, and all that. So like, you know, we were, we were in this frugal mindset, this hustle mindset, whatever we need to do to make it work. And then as I started getting raises and more and more, I'd kind of dropped all the side gigs off and, and just focused on my career and things were, were, were fine. And, but I, I, I was always striving. I was like, okay, what's next? And, 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 and um, I started to latch onto the fire movement a little bit, uh, The, the financial independent retire early movement. And I like the idea of like, okay, just strive and grow so you can be done early. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I also just like enjoyed performing well at work. I wanted to be the best employee that was there. I wanted to outperform others and all that. So I, I did that and I started to get raises and promotions and eventually I got in, into, into sales. Um, and something happened when I got into sales, I started traveling a bit and then Uh, I got promoted again and I traveled a lot and that sort of just, uh, it was the tipping point. It was a little too much, right? I was, mm -hmm. I was on a plane every week, more than 50% travel. And that combined with being new to being like the, the sales guy and the expectations and everything else, it sort of all just weighed on me. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, we had some, some health stuff going on at home and, um, there was just a lot of factors at play to where I got to the point where I kind of had a nervous breakdown where I would come home from work and, and I vividly remember this. It was December of, uh, 2017, I think. And I came home and just laid on the floor face down, uh, or maybe it was face up either way. I was covering my face and I just didn't respond to my wife. I didn't respond to my kids Whoa. like nothing. Like they could say, Hey, what's going on, dad? What's, what's happening? And, and And I just laid there uh, and eventually my wife put the kids to bed and uh, it took me about an hour to kind of snap out of that. And I realized, like, what are we doing like this? This isn't working. And and during that whole time, for a year and a half, we were searching for a bigger house because we had a three bedroom and I worked from home. So I'm like, oh, 
well, it's getting crowded in here. You know, now we have three kids and they're all trying to share this room. And it's just, it's, oh man, we're just feeling really cramped, right? We had a 1500 square foot house, three bedrooms, two bath. And I'm like, we need more, right? So we're, we're looking at four bedroom houses on multiple acres and, you know, at least a thousand more square feet or more. And, um, you know, we could afford it because I've got this, this great job. And so let's, let's go bigger, better, more, let's trade up, mm-hmm. you know, and, and expand. But it took us a year and a half and we never found a house that worked for us. And like for us, I always say, I'm like, you know, God didn't let us find a house because he knew he had this crazy adventure in mind for us. Um, and the other thing is, is that we continued to add to our criteria of, of what we wanted in a house to the point where our, all, all our expectations were unreasonable unless we had $10 million. Like the, all these little things that didn't really matter, like like to the point where we're like, oh, well, we don't want to buy a house unless it has a street name that's an actual name and not a number. Oh. Like stuff that doesn't <laughs> matter. And, and, and I think we were intentionally roadblocking ourselves because we knew something wasn't right. Like this wasn't what we actually wanted. Um, and so after a couple of years of looking, we ended up going to look at this house and it was above our price range. It was like almost three quarters of a million dollars. And we're like, like it was way out in the middle of nowhere. And then it was that point where my brain just flipped and I'm like, I'm not signing up for this. I'm not signing up for the slavery of the debt that is required to purchase some house that I'm going to, you know, stay in this stressful lifestyle just to pay off. And it was just this like moment in my head. And so then, um, it was just either just after Christmas or just before Christmas. I vividly remember this because we had, we talked about living in an RV before and how it'd be fun. And we read a few blogs on people that like took a year off to travel and we're like, that's a nice idea, but we never thought about doing it until later until we were, you know, financially independent. But then I just, uh, I just remember this and I have my wife's permission to share this. I've shared it before, but she was in the shower and I just like kicked open the door to the bathroom and I said, we're doing this one year and we're gone. And then I just shut the door and left. And she was there just like, wait, what, wait, what just happened? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> wait, what? And so she, she, we came out and we talked and, um, we realized that th- that's really what we wanted. We wanted to just we needed to overhaul our life because it was not heading in the direction we wanted. Uh, and I, like I said, I, I tell people I climbed to the corporate ladder and got up there, looked around and realized that's not where I wanted to be. And, uh, and we jumped right back off, off the train, off the, the treadmill. And so, um, we gave ourselves a year, but then we said, Oh, well actually our 10 year wedding anniversary is in August. This was, you know, almost January 1st. So I'm like, Oh, well, how about we do it in seven months instead? Uh, and, and, or my wife was like, we've got to do it by this date. I'm like, okay. So we set that hard deadline. And then we had six months to find an RV, find something to tow it with, remodel the whole RV and then finish remodeling our house. Cause it was under construction. You know, internally we had a bunch of projects and sell everything we own <clears throat> and completely unplug and sell the house and then go. And so it was, it was insanity for about seven months. I can imagine. Uh, it, it, it sort of had us stretch way deep down and uh, find some some courage and some gumption we didn't know we had. Uh, but we got it done. And it was the hardest thing we've ever done, but the best thing we, we've ever done for our life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we like we, you know, we I'd never towed an RV before. We'd never we never even camped in an RV ever. And the first time we did. It was the day we were pulling away from our house and we were like, see ya. 
right? <laughs> so it yeah. was it was it was crazy, but it was one of those things where we needed crazy. We needed a big change. Um, and at this point, I it is the best decision we have ever made. It changed everything from our perspective to our expectations to you know, what we're grateful for and what we need versus what we want and what our life is going to look like. And the trajectory of everything we care about has changed because we made that decision. Mm -hmm. How has your, I mean, you've been in this lifestyle for 15, 16 months. How has this helped you grow with your family or how, how has this strengthened the bonds or even changed your perspective on life and uh, career? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I tell people that I've tasted freedom and I don't ever want to go back, meaning back to a traditional, you know, work till you're too old to enjoy yourself and then retire and die lifestyle. I, I'm exaggerating. Yeah. Right. But but I don't want that lifestyle. Um, it's it's like I said earlier, it's kind of this forced minimalism thing to where we're not having uh, stuff is is normal for us and we really enjoy it it takes a huge weight off our shoulders not to have to uh purchase use maintain store and eventually sell stuff mm -hmm. we just don't have it um as far as the relationships the first 12 months i mean there was a few stressful months i mean we were getting used to this new lifestyle and our truck died and our our I mean, I didn't say it earlier, but our, like our dog died in the first week. And like we had we had some huge challenges put in front of us. Um, and I think, again, I, I feel like those were just like providential in, in building our, our character and our growth. And, you know, this whole year has been a growth journey for us uh, personally and relationally. Um, but as far as relationships go, I feel like I know my kids now. I feel like I, I didn't realize how much I did not know them until I spent a year with them in this small space and, and, and I, I know them and their personalities and, uh, you know, and who they are and wh who they're growing to be. And I get to see that every single day before my eyes. And so it's, it's amazing. And then, you know, with my wife and I, like we're connected now, we're not, you know, we don't feel crowded. Like people are like, Oh, I don't know if I could live with my spouse in that such a small space for such a long time. And I'm like, this is the best thing ever. Like we're closer than ever and we do everything together and we don't feel like we need space. It's, it's amazing the bond that it's built, uh, you know, between us. And, and so it, it really did change everything in an amazing way. Uh, and as far as like career and job and growth, like we're, like I said, we're building an online business and we just want to help people, you know, a big part of that is our blog and helping people with their money so they can experience their version of freedom as well. Right. Like I, I'm in the business of helping people find their freedom. So it's, it's totally different than the life that I thought I was going to have, mm -hmm. which is, you know, comfortable, do tech or tech sales, you know, try to save as much as we can and enjoy and buy stuff that we wanted. And then eventually retire with millions in the bank. It's, it's, it's 100% flipped from that. It's, I'm enjoying life now, right? If you think about the, the, the retire early folks, um, they're, they want to enjoy life when they're young. Uh, and I, and I really, really respect people that have done that and have gotten there. Um, and for us, we're, we're enjoying a lot of the aspects of what early retirement would look like for us anyway. Uh, we, we're just not retired and that's okay, right? We, we're, we're affording ourselves 80% of the benefit of early retirement without having millions in the bank. Right. 
Mm-hmm. So um, I think uh, you interviewed somebody recently, um, um, friends of ours, actually, the pioneers, and, and Jessica talks about slow fi right? The ability Correct. to build a life and enjoy the journey along the way. Mm-hmm. I am 100% in on that, right? That is what we're doing here. So um, it's, yeah, it's changed our perspective. I don't, I don't necessarily worry about um, what's going to happen or I'm not panicking about retirement or any of that stuff. I'm just enjoying the journey along the way, knowing that, you know, we can take this time to build and grow something that we truly believe in and help as many as people, people as possible. That's our goal now, not, not earn a bunch of money and be comfortable. Yeah, I see. And so you, you mentioned your target is now 18 months continuing to travel and maybe you'll look for a place to settle. You will see, I mean, this is not fixed yet, but this is how it looks like. What will you then do? Will you continue building on your website and freelance services, etc.? Is that what you want to do? Yeah, I mean, uh, I've got some big goals for sure for for my website and my business. Um, you know, I wanna I wanna change ten thousand people's lives, right? <laughs> I mean, I just I have these sort of just like big dream goals of like I want to get in and change people's lives so they can experience their own version of financial freedom. Yeah. Right. Ten, ten thousand is a big number in my head. I want to um, w- w- grow the website and the following and all that, of course, as a business. But our goal really is to just like help people, um, you know, flip that light on for people. I used to do financial coaching and I've, I've still done a little little bit of that. Um, but my favorite moment in the world is when I go through people's past spending and we kind of say, okay, here's where your spending's at and here's where your budget's at. And, and then I create a new budget for them and I say, Hey, let's go through all these details. And and is this realistic for you? Yeah, I can stick to that. I can stick to that. Let's cut this out and do this and that. And then the very end I say, okay, where do you think you're at? And they're like, usually stressed out. Like we're screwed. We, there's no way we can save any money. Mm -hmm. But if I can show them, Hey, if you stick to this plan, you can actually save five grand this year. And they're, 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 the light goes on and they're, they're, overjoyed understanding that putting a plan in place will change their life, right? Instead of getting 5,000 more in debt, they're actually going to save five grand if they simply stick to this plan. I love that moment when people get it, right? Yeah. yeah. So my goal is to get as many people as possible to get it, right? To take control of their money, um, you know, and live on an intentional plan, you know, call the budget and enjoy every moment of that budgeting and, and, and start to get themselves back the freedom that they so desire, right? People want that freedom. Like if you talk about like, why, why do you go to work and why are you saving and why are you trying to get out of debt? You know, usually there's always something under that and, the, and, and it's a version of freedom to them, right? I want more time with my kids. Uh, I want to stay at home. Oh, I just don't want this burden of debt anymore. I want to, to grow my net worth so that someday we can retire. I want to travel more. People have all these desires um, but it's the how and the getting there that has stopped them from, from pursuing those things. And so I like to connect those dots for them, mm-hmm. uh, and show them that freedom is possible. Yeah. That's also part of the, of my blog and, and my podcast. It's to, okay, I take a different approach. I talk about a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> I go into alternative routes, etc. because also I nerd out a bit on uh, things like cryptocurrencies, <laughs> Legos. Uh, I even talk about, um, I don't know, a lot of topics, lifestyle changes, location independence. So 
I, mm-hmm. I, I'm quite broad, but in the end, and some, some people have told me, but Jonathan, yeah, your blog is about money. It's about, yeah, making money, becoming rich. Of course, I review bo- books uh, such as uh, The Millionaire Next Door, but in the end, in the grand mm-hmm. scheme of things, it's to, okay, it's my way to help people to to achieve those the similar goals as yours. I mean, like the to be able to get more freedom, spend more time with their kids, be comf- uh, be comfortable with their money, with their finances, so that they know they will they're going to somewhere where they want. Okay, I do mm-hmm. I do to, I do um, maybe a more rock and roll approach, but that that's basically the the end goal, and I think that was also the the purpose of all of us at FinCon. We just have we just bring our mm-hmm. message in different uh, versions. I would say. Absolutely. That's why I'm all on board with the term financial freedom, because it's not something you can box in. Everybody defines their own version of of financial freedom, but it's basically the ability uh, to to make major life money decisions without worrying about your your bank account balance. Like, you know that you have a plan in place that allows you to choose these things. Right. And so. Uh, you know, and I know it's hard to see that some sometimes when you're living paycheck to paycheck, you're barely getting by. You're, you're, you're going further and further into credit card debt every month. I totally get that. Like hearing somebody talk about, oh, financial freedom and the ability to have all this money. It, it's that's not what I'm talking about. It's even if you're in that debt, simply having a plan to get yourself out of that uh, changes your whole mindset. It changes everything. Um, like so, for example. Well, uh, my blog's been around for a long time, since 2012. I kind of hit pause on it when I got that sales gig, and I, I rebooted it just a, a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but during that time, I had thousands of people sign up for my email list, and I had a survey on there, and and people tell me what their number one money struggle was. So I just went in to all the survey, there's over 3,000 survey results. I just typed in the word debt. That The word debt appeared in their responses over 4,000 times. So people want to get out of debt, but the reason they want to get out of debt is because they want that version of, of freedom, right? They won't want whatever that version of freedom is to them. So I have them, you know, when I do coaching, I say, well, let's talk about your priorities and your goals in life. Let's not worry about the numbers. I just want to know what's important to you. Yeah. So then when we build a plan, it's reflective of what you actually care about. Because if you don't build a plan based on something you care about, you're not going to execute it, right? If your budget's just based on like some ideal, like, oh, I just want to cut my expenses, it's like, that's not a big enough motivator to actually stick to it. But if you're like, I had people say, I, w- I want to be a stay-at-home mom. We want to be able to live on a single income. Now, that's tangible. And that's something you can fight for, right? Because you believe in that. So, um, you know, the the idea of building toward financial freedom is is a huge deal to me. And it's something, it's sort of the message I'm trying to spread. Like you said, it's the message you're trying to spread of getting people the ability to have control of their money so they can make choices they care about. Exactly. Right. Versus making, making choices they have to make just to survive. Mm-hmm. And so if people want to, for example, change their lifestyle, such as you did, huh? moving from an, let's say, I would say a regular life, a nine to five jobs, even stressful job, uh, living in a house, paying down the mortgage to moving to an RV or to, changing your life completely, traveling the world, whatever, reducing your um, your amount of hours. So as I hear you, you, you say that one of the key aspects, one of the key starting point is to start with your budget. 
Absolutely. I'm all about the budget. Now, <laughs> it's funny. So I my my blog is called I Heart Budgets. Yes. Um, but in reality, a budget is just a tool to get you where you want to go, right? I, I heart budgets because it is the best, simplest way to build a plan for your money. Mm-hmm. And since your money affects pretty much everything in your life, it's kind of building a life plan, right? Yeah. So I do heart budgets as far as it is the best tool to get you where you want to go. Um, and it's also the starting point. But but like I said, even prior to that, I, I tell people to to sort of, you know, getting into budgeting, the word budget usually gets, gets people kind of bristling saying, oh, man, life's going to suck now that I'm quote unquote on a budget. Sorry, I can't do that because I'm on a budget. It sounds uh, boring. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's restrictive. It, it has a connotation of, oh, now I don't get to have fun anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to flip the script on that to say, hey, no, you get to plan to have fun, right? If your budget doesn't plan to have fun, you're not going to stick to it. Please plan to have fun. But guess what else? When you're on a budget and you track your expenses, you also get to stop wasting money on stuff you don't care about, mm-hmm. right? There's probably, I call them budget leaks, but there's probably so many places where you don't realize that you're probably spending 50 to to $100 or more. I mean, I'm, sometimes it's in the thousands. I, I've helped people where it's in the thousands of money that just disappears because they didn't plan it and it just sort of goes different places. And then when you say, now let's look at your money in, in context of what's important important to you, right? My family, travel, debt freedom. Uh, and what are your goals? Well, I want to be out of debt in the next 24 months. And I, you know, I tell people very, maybe very specific with your goals, when and how much. And when you start to plan your money that way, based on what's important to you, you look at your, your spending over the last 90 days and you go, Oh, I need to stop doing X, Y, and Z because I'm only doing it because it's just there and convenient, but it's not important at all. And it's robbing me of doing the things I actually want to do. Right. Yeah. So stop robbing yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Stop robbing yourself. Take your money and put it into places that are important. Your budget should actually unlock more freedom than it takes away. Your budget shouldn't make you feel bad. It should unlock freedom to enjoy the things you want to enjoy. Yeah, excellent. Uh, I really like uh, the words you put in here. So, yeah, unlock your freedom. Uh, plan and instead of budget and all those negative words, as we said. So that, that's that's great. Okay, budget. Okay, you your blog is I Heart Budget, but are there other aspects before changing your lifestyle completely that you would recommend? I mean, yeah. If, if people want to change their lifestyle, they're in a, I don't know, they, maybe they're in a job in a country that they and they uh, they want to change country and jobs, or they want to I don't know, um, whatever, live in an RV uh, as you do. What 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 else than their uh, budget can they change? Yeah, no, and that's the best way to ask the question because when I tell people that if you want to set a goal, you have to start at the end result, mm-hmm. right? You don't just say, okay, well, do I need to make a little bit more money or should we should we stop spending here? Should I save a little bit more? Those are those aren't tangible. You can't do anything with that. But if you if you say, uh, you know, twelve months from now, I want to quit my job and move into an RV, then you can reverse engineer the steps needed to get there. Right. So let's take that example. In 12 months or 24 months or whatever that timeline is, you want to quit your job and move into an RV. So what things need to be in place? Well, one, I tell people they I recommend if they don't have a job lined up or a way to work uh, on the road, you need a, you need a good chunk of expenses saved in what I call a freedom fund. Right. You know, mm-hmm. some people call it an emergency fund. 
I think an emergency fund is 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 a bit smaller than that and it should only be used for emergencies. I say build a you know a nine to twelve month freedom fund, right? So you look at your anticipated expenses to live on the road. For example, ours was five grand a month. So we knew we, we needed sixty thousand at least in savings. Um and you know, we had quite a bit more than that. Um, but we knew that I wasn't gonna work for that first year. So you look at your your expenses, right? So right now we we're at, we've cut back and we can spend under four grand a month living on the road. So I would tell somebody, hey, but you need you need money to 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 buy this type of freedom. So if you can put aside, you know, say forty five thousand dollars, you can get yourself onto the road, right? Yeah. The other the other piece is then you need to price out what are you going to tow or drive in, right? There there's all varying types of RVs. You can spend. Um, 10 grand and be on the road or you could spend $300,000, right? For a really, really nice motorhome. Um, so price it out, right? Our, our vehicle that we were towing with initially was five grand. Uh, it ended up not working out and we had to buy a truck that was, that was 14,000. Uh, but so was our RV. Our RV was about 15,000. So we needed $30,000 to get the, um, get the RV and get going on the road. So we needed our year of expenses and we needed $30,000. So that sounds like a big chunk of money, but again, the way we got there was we were selling everything, right? So I sold my vehicle and I sold a bunch of stuff, which paid for most of the RV. And then we sold our house, which paid for everything else. So if you're looking at making a change, whether you just want to save your, save the money and get there, or you want to sell something to get there, like look at, just run those numbers, right? So, um, that's part of your plan. And then, okay, well, how do I start getting there? Well, one, if you want to just take a whole year off, make sure you save and you can afford that year and you can afford that RV. Um, you know, so just run the numbers and figure out what it's going to cost. The, the other piece is if you want to just turn this into a lifestyle, just find a way to, to work remotely. Look at look at location independent jobs, whether it's uh, there's a lot of jobs for freelance writing um, online. There's there's a lot of people that we meet on the road that just work. They just they work in tech or they work in design or they work in consulting, mm-hmm. and they just start talking to their company. Hey, um, what is the possibility of of having a location independent job here? Can I start working remotely more? Is there a, the ability for me to re- work remotely full time? Like, can we make that arrangement? So if you're a good performer, if your company seems to have those options, just start asking, and, or get or start searching for a company that allows that look for location independent jobs in your field uh, and go and get that job, right? Like line that up so that you can now start uh, ramping up and working remotely. Um, And then, then at that point, you don't necessarily have to have as much saved because you, you know, I still recommend having a good six months set aside because you just never know. But then now you can, you know, look at what is it going to cost to live on the road, say four or five grand a month, or less because people can do it for less. There's all kinds of ways to do that. And then say, okay, can I make that with a remote job? If you can, boom, you're set. So now you just need to start planning um, your exit strategy, right? For us, it was six months of selling everything, buying the RV, remodeling stuff. You know, we did the full deep dive, but maybe you turn your house and we know people who just turn their house into a rental property while they're gone, right? They just want to be on the road for Mm -hmm. however long that now you have a passive source of income, and you have this job, so you could see like the barrier to entry gets lower and lower if you can line up a couple of those things. So our specific strategy uh, is pretty extreme, right? And uh, it worked for us, but there are other strategies where there are people that still just 
do the typical nine to five. They work remotely on the road. Uh, as long as you've got Wi-Fi, I always recommend Verizon. It is the best coverage period and just get a Verizon unlimited plan with, with a hotspot and you're good to go. So if you've got internet on the road, you can go anywhere, right? So mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. There's a few, like I said, it, my long rambling answer is there's a few different ways to do this. The way we did it was selling everything and using our savings and equity to pay for this lifestyle as we build a business. The other end of that spectrum is getting a job where you can work remotely, um, renting at your house. And now it's just a very, very low barrier to entry and you just need to start switching gears. Mm -hmm. Excellent. And just a question that pops into my mind now, you sold a, a bunch of stuff. Is there any item that you that you miss that you say, oh no, I should not have sold it. I really miss it. I, I maybe you repurchase it. Any things that you missed? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the, it's the truth. You know what's funny? We went back because we have a storage unit with because uh, we had just bought a brand new bed and we had some furniture we really liked, mm -hmm. and then of course like sentimentals and, and things, and so we have a ten by ten storage unit and it's it's two hundred bucks a month. We're not excited about that expense. We're trying to figure out how to not have that expense, but we went back to put some things in storage, maybe grab a couple things out. We opened the door after a year of not seeing our stuff, and then my wife and I looked at each other, and we're like why do we have this stuff? Like, it's actually the opposite. Not only do we not miss what we sold, mm -hmm. we're not even sure why we're hanging on to that stuff in storage. I mean, it is, we are so far beyond worrying about the stuff we used to have that it doesn't even enter our mind, like ever. Like our storage unit never, never pops into my head on a daily basis, like ever. So not only do we not miss the stuff that we sold, we still feel like we have too much stuff. Like we are just so, um, this, you know, the, the pendulum has swung so far the other way that we, we don't need stuff and we don't care. We don't feel like we're missing out on anything. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, the other day it's uh, a bit related, you know, I don't know, I missed some cables or something. And then, so for my, uh, stereo installation, so I missed some cables. So I went back to the basement to, to, to find them in a box and I realized, but I have all these boxes and Actually, I should I should actually really go through them because there's a lot of stuff I don't need anymore. So I found my cables, but um, there were a lot of stuff. I think I need to go through them once again because there's stuff that has been there for several months without being opened and I, and I haven't used them. So maybe it's time that I uh, take a few hours in the weekend to uh, to get rid of some more stuff. It's worth it. You know, speaking of stuff, and, and I kind of mentioned this earlier, but... But this is my philosophy on 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 minimalism and the stuff you own, um, and it's our new criteria for for anything. Is if you're not willing to do five specific things with something you purchase or bring into your home, it, it should never come into your house. So those five things are: Are you willing to pay money for it, or or, or go pick it up if it's free, for example? But for for, for most things, <clears throat> are you willing to pay for that item? Are you going to get value out of it? Mm -hmm. Then are you willing to use that item? Because it's worthless if you're not using that thing. Like, why is it there? Right? Are you willing to pay for it? Use it. And then are you willing to store it? A lot of those things end up, like you said, in boxes or in the garage or somewhere else. Like, do you have a place for it? Right? So are you willing to pay for it? Use it? Do you have a place for it to store it? And then are you willing to maintain that item? Because a lot of times there's some type of maintenance, whether it needs to be cleaned or used or updated, new batteries or whatever. 
So are you willing to pay for it, use it, store it, maintain it? And then eventually a lot of items you got to sell or give away. So that's the life cycle of anything that should come into your house. If you're not willing to do those five things, if you look at those five things like, okay, am I going to, is it worth it? Am I going to use it, store it, maintain it, and then eventually sell it or get rid of it? If you're willing to put the work in to do that, it should never come into your house. So that is our, our requirement. Uh, our, we have a, a special bonus sixth requirement is does it fit in the RV, right? Like <laughs> we, we don't have a lot of space, but um, that is my philosophy on stuff. And we're going to keep that adapted once we get a house because it's it's not worth it to us because because stuff weighs on you. And, and, and when people there's you know people that say, oh, your, your stuff owns you, you don't own it. But in a way, it's the more stuff you have, the more you have to use and maintain and eventually get rid of and sell. We put so much effort into selling our stuff. It was a full time job for my wife for four or five months. Like we're talking, she probably spent hundreds of hours getting rid of our stuff. That was insane to us. We're like, why do we have this in the first place? And oh my gosh, I just spent hundreds of hours of my valuable time just getting rid of it. So it was mind blowing to us how much uh, stuff in our life took away from the things that were important to us. So we have this whole new philosophy on things in our life. Uh, and I know stuff just comes in, comes out, and sometimes it just happens. But then you look there and you're like, how did I end up with all this stuff, especially with kids, right? Yeah. Stuff just kind of comes into the house and then we're like, what is all this? And now we have to deal with it. And then it takes hours and hours and hours and hours of our time to deal with it. And it's it was infuriating. So, yeah, we've got a very strict philosophy on anything that comes into our house. And I, I think it's totally worth it, like you said, to go through and just get rid of those things. Not only could you make some money from it, but then you can – uh, not ever have to worry about it again. Yeah. And I've been, <clears throat> I mean, the listeners know I've been uh, moving around a bit. I've lived in, uh, in Oslo, in Norway, in Paris, in France, in less than the last five years. So I've been moving around. So, you know, when you move around, you just get rid of stuff. And really yep. at some point I was giving to clothing, clothing to charity, etc. And it, when it feels good, I sold some stuff. I did uh, all the things you mentioned. So, It feels good, it removes clutter, and it makes moving easier. And then, you know, the thing is, as I move along, I'm still removing stuff little by little. And I think the next step is the basement, as I said. But I still yeah. I still throw stuff away now and then. It's uh, just, I, yeah, it's in boxes, I don't use it, I don't miss it. Ciao. Right, and it, it's things only have a certain useful life, right? Mm, and sometimes yeah. it's very short-lived. We're trying to teach our kids about this. Like, my, my son earned some money, he wants to go spend it. I'm like... Okay, think about the useful life of this thing. You're going to not enjoy this in about three weeks after getting it, and now it's there. And that's your $5 just sitting there not being used. Is it worth it, right? I'm trying to teach them about the value of what they spend their money on. So it's, it is, it, and moving is such an, a great opportunity to, to shed all of those extra things you don't actually need. Because, oh, that's a, a, a hey, that's a, that's a sixth criteria right there. Are you willing to transport this thing when you move? Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, boom, add, add another one to the list, but <laughs> no, that's awesome. And I think that it, the whole spring cleaning thing, I think people should do it multiple times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that changed our life and perspective on it when we still had a house was, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Marie Kondo, but she's got the life changing magic of tidying up. It's a book and she ended up having a show online as well. Um, yeah, but she's it, very it was a really, really here too. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, so we, we, we like that philosophy as well. Mm. Yeah, I could go on for hours about minimalistic and Marie Kondo and whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a great show. Uh, it was a great, um, great interview, Jacob. So thank you for your time. I really enjoyed it. It, it really took us from uh, the RV, the practicalities, to choosing your and building your lifestyle that you want and, and as well ending up with the, and actually starting with the budget in your case and talking about mm -hmm. minimalistic uh, approach. I really enjoyed it, uh, yep. Jacob, and I think we probably will need to do a second one, maybe on the decluttering and the minimalism, because it's uh, yeah, I really enjoy those topics. And and Jacob, yeah. Um, yeah, before we head off, I have always three questions I ask my guests, uh, the quick fire questions. So, what has been your best investment so far? Well, I have to say it's it's got to be our house mm -hmm. uh, because that that it essentially we bought it in 2010 and when we sold it in 2018 it basically doubled in price and so that afforded us that that time to 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 take off and and, and regroup as a family and, and do this this crazy adventure and it's it's affording us to the time to build the business and, and help more people so um i would say our house was the best investment we have ever made um you know 100% return on investment in eight years is is not bad. Um, oh, definitely. So, yeah. And and it was one of those things where we we kind of stretched ourselves to buy it. We knew it was slightly a little more than we had budgeted, but we – and I don't advocate timing the market in any way, but we knew things were like crazy low in 2010 mm -hmm. in the United States. The, the market had cut way down. And so we said, you know what? this seems right. Let's, let's, you know, we prayed about it and we said, okay, this is where we're, we're going to plug in and do this. And, and like I said, at some point I had to have three jobs to, to maintain that, but we knew it was an investment. And so then we also poured back into it, you know, upgrading the floors and doors and the whole kitchen and all this stuff. So like we treated it as a home and mm -hmm. we loved it, but we also knew it was an investment and yeah, it definitely paid dividends. Excellent. And then my second question is, um, what is a book you would recommend to anyone uh, listening? And it does not need to be financial. Yeah. Um, well, I, I mentioned it earlier, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up. It's just a great introduction to minimalism and, and how you should treat your stuff um, and your relationship with stuff. Uh, I think that's a, a fantastic book. Uh, as far I, I do like recommending financial books, but for me, um, and we didn't really touch on this, and a lot of what I touch on is, is the getting started part. But once you're started and you want to start investing, I, I recommend this. It's not as well known a book, but I really, really enjoyed it. And it changed everything I knew about investing was called uh, Millionaire Teacher. Okay. And it's just a guy who retired early on a teacher's salary, but he just, he, he basically pulls, picks apart the entire financial industry uh, and points people to passive investing strategy using index funds. And it's just, it's an easy, simple read for people that are new to investing and they want to just like kind of understand, well, why do people say go to Vanguard? Why should I do passive investing in index funds? And what's the difference? Why can't my financial guy just take care of it? And he talks about how, you know, a lot of people are getting, you know, they're, they're losing too much money to fees for managed investments versus just doing it yourself. So it, it turned from me uh, nine years having somebody manage my investments to being a do-it-yourself investor. And it was a super simple change and it's paid thousands in dividends uh, and wasted fees. So it's it's a highly recommended book called Millionaire Teacher. Okay, I'll look it up and I'll link it up in the show notes as well. And then last question, what is the best purchase you made 
for un under a hundred dollars. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to sound redundant here, but it's it's been <laughs> books, but books. So think about it this way, um, and and this is if you can find you, you know good books, books that people recommend. A book is typically somebody's life experience and knowledge for maybe it's a decade or 20 or 30 years and they boil it down into a single book. So it's kind of like every time you buy a book, you're buying a mentor. That person is going to mentor you based on their experience and expertise um, as a leader in whatever it is they're doing, right? Um, and they're going to come alongside you and give you everything. So a book can change your life, right? For me, the very first book, I'll make another recommendation just because I really do believe in books, was Dave Ramsey's The Total Money Makeover. Um, I had just gotten engaged and I didn't know anything about money and I realized I was wasting a ton of money and I have a whole story about how I I blew through a lot of money in a short period of time. But um, that flipped the script in my mind and it taught me all the, the basics of money that I never knew. Um, and so the, the Total Money Makeover was probably the best investment I ever made because, you know, as far as under a hundred dollars, best purchase, because then it changed my life and helped me start my blog and start helping other people and coaching people and making wise made decisions. And then the ability to buy a house and grow that and then take this adventure. And it all kind of stemmed from that, that book. So yeah, 15 bucks and it changed my life. Yeah, no, uh, I agree with the, with the philosophy because a book it today on Amazon or whatever, wherever, It's 10 to 15 bucks, as you say, and some mm -hmm. are really life-changing. I mean, I, um, I mentioned, for example, uh, how to win friends and influence people. It's cost me probably 10 to 15 bucks as well, but it's really, um, it's really one of the best books and I recommend it to everybody and it costs nothing. And then you have so much value from it because it's a principles I have applied throughout. And I even kind of wrote it, um, it's kind of the, the red line in my article on, uh, FinCon, for example. And mm -hmm. then there's other books. Huh? I mean, I, you, you, we talked about Ramit Sethi's. So, I mean, he, his book is just a really practical guide touching upon um, credit cards, investing, uh, buying, a, buying a house, etc., and negotiating your salary. So for, for 10, 15 bucks, you have a, a practical guide that can uh, return you thousands of dollars. Yes, absolutely. No, great investments. Excellent. And uh, look, uh, Jacob, so... Um, Yeah, it was a great episode, as I said. And thank you so much for being part of the show and giving your time here. And where can the listeners find you? Where can they know uh, more about your story and iHeartBudget? Yeah, absolutely. So the website's been there forever and uh, and we're, we're back in full swing. It's iHeartBudgets.net. Um, and then you can find us on, on social media. Instagram is where we're most active, just Instagram.com slash iHeartBudgets. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, you... Again, my goal is to start helping people achieve that version of financial freedom in their life, whatever that looks like. Um, and so, and we're actually, you know, crazy enough, we're releasing our first product that that walks people through that. Uh, we call it the budgeting binder, but it's 30 plus worksheets to get your get your money and your life in order. Right? It's I want people to have that same type of experience of being able to organize their money, have that light bulb moment where they're like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And then have the the tools necessary to pay off debt, start investing, achieve big goals, right? That they actually want to get toward and, and really start building that financial freedom in their life. So we, we call it the destination financial freedom. 
uh, budgeting binder, you know, themed after our, our travels and there's some travel destination type stuff, you know, themed in there, but it really is, uh, you know, a tool that we're hoping helps tons and tons and tons of people get their money right. Okay. Excellent, Jacob. I'll uh, link it all up in the show notes. And I must say that Jacob, one thing that, uh, uh, stays with me is that you made the best business card ever at FinCon. So what I will do <laughs> in, instead of usually, uh, writing the, um, the links, uh, like just write type handling, I will just make a picture or scan your, your card <laughs> because it's just brilliant. No, absolutely. You know, the funny story behind that is we, we ordered our business cards and they just didn't show up. So we had a, a red eye flight, my wife and I, and it was like three in the morning. I was sleeping on the airport floor during our layover and she just started, we bought a bunch of little blank cards and she started handwriting all those. And we made about 25 handwritten business cards. Uh, and they, I think they turned out better than the ones we designed online. So we were, <laughs> we were pleased. Excellent. Okay, Jacob, that was it for today. So thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep in touch because who knows we when we do this episode on uh, minimalism. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm all about it. I really enjoyed this conversation with Jacob. It was quite interesting and we touched upon several topics I am personally interested in. And I hope you too, such as minimalism or changing one's lifestyle, etc. I didn't expect Jacob to be so talkative, actually. So I'll keep the key takeaways shorter than usual this time. So to begin with, I will just point out a few things that I found funny or surprising about the life in an RV. So yeah, what, what I liked is that uh, yeah, they told their kids that uh, with every stop they make, they're changing backyards. It's true, actually. And when you think of it, you, you move places, so your backyard changes every time. Another thing I, uh, I was surprised, actually, is about the washing machine. Since they don't have a washing machine, they just go to laundromats where they have access to multiple machines, washers and dryers. So actually they are saving time, which could seem counterintuitive at first, but yeah, that's how it is. They actually save time. And then of course, then there's the minimalism aspect. You can only bring so much with you, so you need to only live with what you need and not with what you want or that is nice to have. So it creates a forced minimalism. Another interesting point, and uh, which is the same as actually the one from Brad from Man Overseas, is that when you travel abroad and you're evaluating a place to eventually settle, actually you're faced with so many choices that it becomes even harder to, <laughs> to pick the place where you will settle. Regarding homeschooling, everyone will need to do his research on what is possible, uh, where you're a resident, etc. But then, from what I hear, it's just another type of education. It's just more hands-on and practical, like, for example, uh, making math at the shop, uh, trying to evaluate deals, etc. So just uh, it's just more practical. And all the time spent on the road is also a great time to read tons of books and listen to educational podcasts. And next to that, there are also downsides of living in an RV. The hardest part of living in an RV and moving around is that you will miss friends, your community, for example, church, if that applies to you and your family. Nevertheless, all in all, taking a mini retirement, living in an RV for one, a year or two will change your perspective on life and Jacob and his family are embracing their journey while they're building their business and strengthening their family bonds. And since I'm talking to Jacob from iHeartBudgets, I really appreciated his mission to help people take control of their money and live on an intentional plan slash the budget because it is this plan that will actually allow them to achieve their financial goals and live a better life 
And the last thing I really enjoyed from this conversation was uh, Jacob's minimalistic approach to stuff. The five, or actually six, questions you should ask yourself before letting anything enter your house. Are you willing to pay for it? Are you willing to use that item? Will you be able to store it? Are you prepared to maintain that item? And ultimately, are you ready to sell it or give it away at the end of its lifetime? And then, as per our discussion, the sixth question that came into play, are you willing to transport it in case you're moving? So that was it for today. Thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to me. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcast. And of course, please do not hesitate to contact me. If you have any questions or feedback, send me an email, john at johnnytalks.com or connect through social media at johnnytalks on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And amigos, once more, thanks so much for listening and I'll speak to you next time.